This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. I'm Saddam to our listeners. I'm Glob Billimorio, and I offer my most loving and humble pranams at the lotus feet of Abhilabad Bhagwan, Satya Sai Baba. Today we'll be hearing a talk given by Dr. Ramya Gopinath. She grew in Canada and had her first darshan of Swami in the early 1980s. She was privileged to attend the 995 summer course in Bhagwan's presence in Whitefield. And over the years, she has been blessed to have received his consistent guidance. She is a long-time member of Sri Satasai Center in Maryland, USA, where she has served previously as a Group 3 Guru, SSE Coordinator, a Study Circle Facilitator, and currently serves as a Center President. Starting in 2018, she served a two-year term in the Region 2 Young Adult Women's Advisor in USA. So she will be talking on the topic of the four Fs, follow the master, face the devil, fight to the end, and finish the game. So let's hear from Dr. Ramya Gopinath. In today's program, we're going to examine an important teaching of our beloved Sai Baba. That teaching um, is something that many of you may have heard before. It is the concept and the idea of following the master. He says, follow the master, face the devil, fight to the end and finish the game. And so our first, our guest speaker tonight is Dr. Ramya Gopinath. She is a medical officer at the Division of Anti-Infectives at the FDA. She's also volunteered her services at Swami's super specialty hospitals and medical camps in Puttaparthi, the Philippines, Kazakhstan, and the US. She's currently the president of the Satya Sai Center of South Bethesda in Maryland. And that is just the tip of the iceberg. Barbara keeps her very, very busy in his divine mission. Sairam, Dr. Gopinath, and welcome. Sairam, Brother Greg, I would like to begin by offering my love and reverence, my heartfelt pranams, at the lotus feet of our beloved master, the indweller of all our hearts, the source and the goal. Saram, Brother Greg, again, thank you to uh, you and to all of our listeners. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this interview. Well, Sairam, you are so welcome. You know, as we've spoken together and worked on what we would like to share, I really am quite excited. I think we should just jump right into it. So Barbara says, follow the master, face the devil, fight to the end and finish the game. What would you say is the value of following a master? Yeah, thank you, Greg. So, you know, to me, the four Fs, uh, as you introduced, are so powerful and contain a very valuable prescription for the way that we uh, live our lives. And um, Swami himself has said, and I, I'd like to quote this, he says that follow the master means observing righteousness, 
Face the devil means overcoming the temptations that beset you when you try to earn wealth or the wherewithal to live in comfort. Fight to the end means struggle ceaselessly, wage war against the six inner enemies that are led by lust. And finally, finish the, go- uh, the game means do not stop until the goal of moksha, liberation from ignorance and delusion, is reached. The, the Fs are fundamental for the pursuit of the four purushartas, or the goal of human life, which are dharma, artha, kama, and moksha, righteousness, wealth, desire, and liberation. And he goes on to say, I shall ever be with you wherever you are, guiding and guarding you. So, you know, this was back in 1975 that he said this. And uh, as I said, it's to me one of the most powerful injunctions for how we uh, live our lives. But today I'd like to actually just focus on the first of the four F's, which is follow the master, because that in itself uh, is the journey often of a lifetime. So first, uh, I think, um, you know, we have to be kind of clear on the terminology. So we have to follow the master uh, rather than following a master. And so when we think about that, we can think about, um, you know, who is the master or who is the master and why should we even follow this master? So if you think about it uh, in a worldly sense, when we are trying to learn anything, whether it is a hobby, whether it is how to play an instrument, whether it is anything that we have to learn for our professions to be competent and good at it and really uh, excellent at it, we have to follow the words of experts, the practitioners who have gone before us, uh, the ones who know. If we are on the spiritual path, we need a guru, somebody who uh, can uh, give us the directions, uh, tell us where the pitfalls are, um, you know, guide us, sort of like a, a, a GPS or a map. And guru, as Swami himself has said, means the dispeller of darkness. So in our case, we're really lucky because we have Swami, who is God himself as our guru. And his only wish is to really see us progress and to become really fully integrated human beings and to even realize, because many of us don't, and I count myself among those, we don't even realize uh, at the beginning what the goal of life is. So we need a guru that will guide us and show us the path and tell us how that works. However, you know, he's laid out a very clear path for us, and that's why following the master is so critical because, again, we are trying to progress along this path. So we have to follow the words of the expert and the, the, the guru, who, who in our case is God. Why should we do this? Because when we do this, it is for no one's benefit other, other than our own. It leads really to our own transformation. And But even if we recognize uh, Swami as our external guru, Um, He constantly tells us that within each one of us, uh, he resides as our internal guru, as our conscience, as the voice within that will help us to discriminate, help us to make decisions in life, help us to follow always the path that is Godward rather than towards the world. He teaches us to follow the path that is towards God. And when we try and really put our effort into it, we find that... um, the way becomes a little bit clearer. 
But to in order to do that, uh, you know, we have to be prepared to just like we do in every other aspect of his life. Uh, we um, have to be prepared to follow the directions. And I think I just want to get back to uh, your original question. Um, it is important that we realize that that Guru Swami is the voice within. And so there is only one master who is the voice within. And that is why he says, follow the master as opposed to follow a master. I hope that helps, Greg. That does. I think that's lovely. I think you've put it really nicely. I think what would be really useful here is if you could now share with us an example from your life of following the master. Mm. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that question. Uh, so I think, um, you know, I would say that my first experience of um, the, the, the sort of, um, you know, Swami always tells us that if you take one step to more, towards me in faith, then I will take a hundred more towards you. And I think the biggest example of that was um, when I was blessed to be part of a group um, of young women that went to participate in the summer course in 1995 in Brindavan, which is, of course, Swami's ashram uh, outside Bangalore. And, uh, you know, for two weeks, it was just really the most blissful experience. We were his students. Uh, we uh, had the privilege of listening to him every day, along with other esteemed speakers. We um, even had the pleasure of pulling out weeds in the compound of Trai Brindavan, his uh, residence there. We um, ate with the rest of his students. We, you know, spent our time there. And he was kind enough um, to um, give us an opportunity to lead bhajans in the Sai Ramesh Hall. And he interacted with us on two occasions in an interview. And it was in one of those interviews that he very kindly gave each of us uh, a chance to ask him a question. And, you know, it's so amazing because Swami uh, is the guru within. So he knows exactly what uh, each of us is thinking, what we're doing. But out of his own compassion for us, he gives us a chance to feel like we actually interacted with God. Um, that was my first experience of being, you know, in such physical proximity. And it was really overwhelming. His love was very palpable. But in that interview, when he gave each of us a chance to ask a question, the only question that occurred to me at the time was about my father. Now, my father had been um, asked by Swami a couple of years prior to that to come and, um, you know, help set up the urology department in the super specialty hospital in Puttaparthi. But no sooner had he come, then he uh, began to to fall ill, actually. And uh, he really um, was not able to participate in the way that he had wanted to. Um, and so at, at the time when I was in that interview room with Swami, the only thought that was in my head was about my father. And I said, Swami, my father is ill. What to do? And Swami thought for a minute, a second, and he said, you come. You come and stay with father. And something prompted me to say, when, Swami, when shall I come? And he said, come for birthday. And then he turned to all the girls and he said, all of you come for birthday. And then he moved on to other topics. He didn't tell me um, how long I should stay. He didn't tell me what I should do when I came here. Nothing like that. 
The background to this story is that at that time, I had finished my infectious disease fellowship, and I was about to start a postdoctoral fellowship um, at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda. I had finished my um, ID fellowship in Canada in Toronto, and so I was about to move to Bethesda to start my postdoctoral uh, fellowship at the NIH. Now, this was something I had worked very hard for. I uh, was very much looking forward to it. I think it was the prelude to a career in academia, which is what I had always thought that I would do or wanted to do. And here was Swami telling me, so that this was in May of 1995. I was to start my fellowship on July 1st. And so everything was set. But here was Swami telling me to come in November and stay uh, in India. That was where my father was at the time. And so... Um, you know, but such, fortunately, I would say for me, such was the impact of his presence that it did not even occur to me to question that. And so I came back and I started to make arrangements to, you know, wind up, um, you know, I was in an apartment in Toronto to wind that up and move back to uh, India. And as part of that, I had to call my uh uh, you know, lab chief to be in uh, the NIH to tell him that actually, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't actually make it. I couldn't join in July because I had to go to India, um, you know, for family reasons, etc. So he was he was very understanding. Um, uh, again, you know, he said all the right things, and uh, the the conversation was brief. So we put down the phone. And I went about my business, but I have to tell you that there would, was definitely a sort of sense of regret um, and thinking that, you know, I have, you know, this is such a coveted uh, position, a path. Um, I, I don't know whether I will ever get it again. And so um, uh, two weeks later, my boss-to-be called me back and he said, um, you know, Something has prompted me to kind of keep uh, inquiring about this. We've never done anything like this before, but I've spent the last couple of weeks asking and getting permission. So I wanted to ask you, how would you like to work for us in India? So work for the NIH, but be based in India and not only in India, but in Chennai, which is where my father was and which is where I had to be. So, uh, you know, to say that I was flabbergasted would be such a complete understatement. I, you know, never in my wildest dreams thought that anything like this was possible. But, you know, when I got over that initial surprise and, and just astonishment, I reflected on the fact that, that, you know, Swami, when you follow his word, when you do exactly what he tells you to do and follow the path that he has laid out, he makes all sorts of things possible. He helps you in ways that you never even dreamt of. He makes the impossible possible. And so for me, I think um, that was the first and very powerful example of what happens when you follow the master. Put aside your own mind, your own thoughts, follow him and see where he leads you. Yes, I, I think it's amazing when there's a certain amount of surrender and following the master. Absolutely. He is the the wire puller of the universe, as Shirdi Baba used to say, pulls all the strings behind the scenes. And so there are benefits. There are benefits of following the master. Maybe you could share with us some direct benefits that you've experienced in your life. Sure. Thank you, Greg. 
Um, so I think that, you know, again, if we are serious about the spiritual path, we need guidance because there are many, many pitfalls on this path. I think the biggest thing that we are all very familiar with is our own monkey mind, which is constantly trying to divert us from our goal and getting us more and more invested in um, identification with this body and mind rather than trying to progress beyond it. In addition to um, to the mind, there are the vasanas that we bring with us. There is the our senses that are constantly diverted to things around us. There is the ego, which is always again telling us that we are this limited uh, body mind complex. And so, um, you know, I think one of the benefits of really uh, following the the guru is really that you know he awakens you to what the real goal is, because I think that we all, um, you know, again, speaking very much for myself, when we begin um, life in the ordinary way, we think that, okay, life is all about uh, getting to a certain position, uh, you know, achieving some learning in life, you know, whatever it is, we may, we may measure it in, in terms of the possessions that we have. And it takes a guru um, and, and a guide like Swami is to tell us that the real goal of human life is to realize the divinity within. I mean, what a lofty goal. We cannot actually ask for anything more. But in addition to awakening us to uh, what the goal is, we also need help to navigate past the mind, the vasanas, the ego, the senses, all of those things that serve to divert us from our path to that goal. And so sometimes, you know, we tend to focus on, on this um, journey. We tend to focus on certain attributes like, um, you know, it all begins with faith, of course, but we tend to focus on certain attributes like uh, surrender or acceptance and actually, what I find is, you know, the following the master and following the prescription that he lays out for us is so powerful that once we are on that path and once we really turn our vision towards him and towards the path that he says, then all those other attributes are just kind of added to us without us seeking it specifically. So I'm reminded of a small incident where, uh, you know, there's there's a there's a sweet story about a guru and his disciples, and he had led them to, um, uh, you know, they were wandering in the forest, and he had led them to a river bank, river bank, and said, okay, we would like to, uh, you know, construct our huts here for our ashram. So the disciples got busy and and constructed um, a couple of huts for themselves. Uh, no sooner were, were they done than the master said to them, oh, actually, no, no, this is the wrong spot. We need to move it 10 feet to the left. So then they demolished the huts, moved the site over and rebuilt them. No sooner were they done than again the master said, no, no, I think this is the wrong spot. We need to move it a little further behind, away from the riverbank. So again, they sort of demolished it, rebuilt it. And again, when they were finished, the master said, no, no, this is not the right spot. And so it went on. Every time they finished building, the master would say, no, no, this is not the right spot. You need to move it. So one by one, the disciples became weary of this whole exercise. And they questioned the validity of the master. 
um, you know, what does this have to do with any spiritual teaching? So one by one, they kind of just sat down and gave up. But there was one disciple who cheerfully, no matter how many times the master said, he would demolish the hut, build it wherever the master said, demolish it again, build it where the master said. And finally, when he was the only one standing, the only one doing this, the master called him and he initiated him into the spiritual teaching. And the others were so surprised. And the master said, all of this that I asked you to do, all of this was preparation to make you ready to receive the spiritual knowledge that I am about to give. This is the only disciple who did that. So, you know, it's a, it's a humorous example, but I think it is really teaches us that if we want to, uh, if we want to really benefit from all of the things that Swami is teaching us or the path that he lays out for us, the things that he says we should focus on, we have to prepare ourselves. And the way that we prepare ourselves is by following the basic teachings that he gives us, you know, what we should eat, what we, what company we should keep, where we should, um, you know, direct our attention, what we should do with our senses, what we should do with our desires. All of those things, Swami has uh, given us very specific prescriptions. And I think it is only when we start following those basic things that he will then be able to impart the higher teachings. So if we want to progress, we have to start somewhere. And that is where his path is. It's like, you know, uh, I always, you know, being a being a physician, I always think in terms of health and, and so on. And when we... We, you know, when, when anybody has a physical ill of any kind, they go to the doctor. And when the doctor, um, you know, uh, tries to, uh, tries to help, they basically advise, uh, you to take some medicine, but they may also advise you to, uh, follow a particular diet. So for example, um, some of you may be familiar with the blood thinner called Coumadin. If somebody is on Coumadin, the doctor will also tell them that you need to avoid leafy green vegetables because that those contain a certain vitamin which will counteract the the uh, the effect of the Coumadin. Similarly, we in in our lives are suffering from the ills of samsara, you know, this world and and all of the ups and downs that we are um we are exposed to. So we in, in we have our own spiritual and emotional and, and psychological ills. When we go to the doctor, Swami, he tells us that our love for him is the medicine. That is the medicine that will drive out a lot of the negativity from within our hearts. But his message is the diet. So we cannot have one without the other. And, you know, Swami... Um, also just uh, said, one last thing that comes to mind is that, you know, when he was talking to one of his students once, he said that the very best relationship that one can have with Swami is a guru-sishya, that is a guru-disciple relationship. Why is that? Well, he says that in every other kind of relationship, there is some amount of selfishness or some degree of conditionality. Whereas between a master and his disciple, there are absolutely no conditions attached. The master simply loves the disciple out of the feeling that his disciple must progress. 
And the disciple in turn just loves the master and so wants to follow his path out of his love for the guru. So I hope that uh, I hope that that uh, helps a little, Greg. Yeah, that was very nice. I think we all want to be his disciple. That's the that should be the end goal. It is a two way street. We experience his love more and more as we move along with him. Um, what does loving God mean for you? Mm. Yes, that's that's uh, that's a very good question, um, and I think you know. We, uh, I, I think it means uh, different things at, at different times, but I have to say, uh, well, let me take that back. Actually, I think that for me, um, loving God has everything to do with uh, trying to do what he wants us to do. And again, with this, you know, I'm reminded of a, of a story that I came across on Radio Sai, actually, that was narrated uh, by one of uh, Swami's students. Um, and that this story has always stayed with me. Um, very, very powerful story has always stayed with me. And I think really encapsulates what it means for me to love God. So the story is a very beautiful one. Um, one day, apparently Swami was sitting with his, uh, students, you know, as he always would, uh, in Trai Brindavan. And, um, he asked his boys, do you like Swami or do you love Swami? And of course, the boys all chorused and said, Swami, of course, we love Swami. We love Swami. And Swami said, no, my boys don't love Swami. So again, they said, no, Swami, no, we, we love you. We love you. And again, he said, no, my boys don't love Swami. They only like Swami. So again, they tried to protest. And again, Swami said much the same thing. And finally, they all sort of fell silent because they all realized that there was, uh, there was a, a big lesson here. And Swami said that if you have a pet at home, it could be a dog, it could be a cat, it could be, you know, he didn't say a cat. He said a dog, but I'm just adding that in. Um, if you have a pet at home, what do you do with that pet? You pet 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 him or her you play with them you feed them you bathe them you uh like to like to be close to them uh you think they're very cute uh but that is all that you do with them you don't follow them anywhere so when you do other things you go to work you go to school you do all your other things you don't follow the pet that is the way my boys think of Swami. So there was pin drop silence and, you know, everyone was, was really crestfallen. And Swami went on to say that to love Swami is to follow Swami. You have to be prepared to do what it is that pleases Swami. If you love someone, you are going to do something that is going to make them happy, not you. And so, you know, I, for some reason, that image has always stayed with me because I think it really perfectly encapsulates uh, the difference between, um, you know, liking Swami and really, if we say that we love Swami, what should it mean? 
And, you know, we can all, we can think of many examples from our everyday lives to sort of illustrate this a little further. So, for example, if I'm going to make, uh, you know, if I'm preparing a dish for somebody or I'm making a cup of tea or coffee for them, then I am going to do that um, in the way that they like, not the way that I like. So I may prefer my tea with, you know, black with a, with, with a little twist of lemon in it or something. They may like it with milk, with sugar, with uh, masala or with cardamom or anything like that. And so if I love them, I'm going to make the tea that the way that they want it. And so it is no different with Swami. I think when we say that we love him, we tend to do the things that we feel are portraying our devotion and love. So it may be um, you know, we may decorate our altar beautifully. We may, um, uh, you know, make a beautiful meal for a particular festival. We may um, sing bhajans. We may, you know, do a seva in the way that we feel is right. But I think at some point we all have to ask ourselves. Okay, dear listeners, so we'll see what we have to ask ourselves next week. Saram to you all. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.